We continue our series entitled, Jesus Puts the Stud in Bible Study. Justin Frazier, our executive pastor, speaks about how we Christians may not always live out our faith, or even talk about it with our non-religious friends. He shares both passages and statistics that should convict us to be more active in our faith. Now let's hear from Justin Frazier and let the Holy Spirit work on our hearts. All right, so I want you to visualize something with me this morning. All right, so get your mind right. Picture that day that's coming like a thief in the night. Okay, angels too numerous to count, too spectacular to even behold. They're encircling the world. Right, they surround Christ like a blazing forest fire. Some of them are are, uh, playing this trumpet, right, just signaling the announcement that the Lord of Lords has arrived. Others are are flashing forth like lightning, singing praises to the King of Kings. And then you see Him. This King of Kings and Lords of Lords is draped in the Father's glory. He's riding this chariot in the clouds. Right? It says it's, it's, he's in unapproachable light. You can't even hardly make him out, but you know who it is. He's dressed for war. He's got a sword protruding from his mouth. Right? The one by whom and for whom all things exist is here. So every eye We'll see him, right? This is not an event that only some people are going to see. Everyone knows what's happening. So all activity apart from him ceases. Atheism, false religions, paganism, name it. Those cease to exist because Jesus Christ has returned. So amidst this, this spectacular event, right, which will change all of human history from that point on, we get this landscape that's filled with angels, God, obviously, and mankind. It's got some over here on the right, right? Those are the faithful. Those are his chosen, loved folks. You got some over here on the left that are kind of probably brazenly unrepentant, living in their sin apart from the Lord. But then you might have this group in the middle that they know who Jesus was, right? They, uh, they recognize, they, they know about him, they, they recognize who he said he was, but not enough to actually put their faith in trust, not enough to change their lifestyle, to yield their own uh, lordship of their lives, right? A lot of us we're real quick to claim Jesus as Savior, right? Who, who wants to go to hell? Nobody, right? I don't, Ron, don't raise your hand. We have some suspicions about you, but yeah, don't, don't do that. So nobody does. So everybody's quick to claim Jesus as Savior. But then Lord, that involves surrender, self-sacrifice. You know, that's inconvenience. And so I'm picturing this world where you got these on the right, these on the left, and these in the middle. Jesus looking down on them, them looking up at Jesus. 
maybe a holy embarrassment or a godly shame, right? Knowing, man, why didn't we? Only if. Okay? And this is the scene that we can see in, in 2 Timothy 2 that Sloan's got here on the board. Talks about if we disown him, he will also disown us. Right? And so I'm afraid that it actually would fall in the category that Jesus is talking about in Matthew 25, where he says, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. So we're in the middle of this study called Jesus Puts the Stud in Bible Study. Right? That's the understatement. There's no one like Jesus. Right? So it's awesome that we're doing this. But sometimes I'm afraid that we can be so focused on learning about Jesus, just the head knowledge, that we miss Jesus. Our hearts are not transformed. It's not replaced the heart of stone with a heart of flesh. We miss the relationship, the personal relationship with Jesus. Okay? And before we get too far, I'm not trying to infer by some, you know, that there's a way that you can lose your salvation. This has nothing to do with that. Once you're saved, we see that in Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament, we see this picture of those that belong to Jesus being in His hand. And actually, John 10.10 10 talks about how we're in Jesus' hand and Jesus is in the Father's hand. Almost like that double, right? Your salvation is not dependent upon your ability or strength to hang on to Christ. It's about His strength to hang on to you. And praise the Lord for that. But probably one of my biggest fears in ministry is that we would have people in this church, men in this church. Maybe you show up to Bible study, maybe you're part of a life group, maybe you go on a mission trip or you're serving others in the community, doing all these great things for Christ, but missing a relationship with Christ. Right? And that's the warning that we see in Matthew 7. Okay? Where Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Right? And in your name we drove out demons and in your names performed many miracles. Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Right? So how do people, how do these men that did all these things for the Lord miss a relationship with the Lord? And granted, you guys, a lot of y'all have been here for a long time. I know you, right? So maybe the concept of, of being ashamed or even denying the Lord, uh, that seems pretty far off, right? You're like, oh, come on, I've been a Christian for a long time. I've walked with Jesus for a long time. But, you know, you might even think, you know, I, I, could, I could see myself a lot like Peter, right? Mark 14, Peter says, even though they all fall away, right? Talking about all the other disciples. He says, I will not. That was Peter's great statement. Remember that? And then we remember, oh yeah, that rock, that Peter, was almost shattered beyond repair when he fell. Right? Shortly after he'd, he'd made this declaration, Peter was in the garden, right? He had just abandoned his Lord, right? They arrest him and take him off. So he follows at a distance. He kind of wants to see what's, what's happening. And then you got Caiaphas' uh, servant girl, right? And she points him out. Hey, that dude right there, he was with Jesus. Once, twice, 
three times, and then what happens? Jump to Luke 22, right? The Lord, you know, the, the, before the rooster crows, you just tell me three times, but the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Can you imagine what that look is? I don't know if it was disappointment or shame. Whatever it was, it, Peter went away weeping. In fact, right, it says that Peter wouldn't have survived if the Lord had not prayed for him. Remember that? They prayed that he would strengthen in his faith. And so we're here today as men. We don't want to end up like Peter in that regard. You know, sometimes we can be very confident in our own uh, assertions of our faith, right? When it really hasn't been tested, right? Our fidelity towards the Lord, yeah, sure, I've got it. No issues here. But what happens when the rubber meets the road? And we do that by preparing today. Because you see, I would say even the strongest, or maybe in Peter's case, especially the strongest, right? Remember who he was. He was always the first one to step up for the Lord. Hey, this is not happening. Hey, I'm going to attack the, the uh, people that are coming to arrest you. Hey, I'm going to walk, take a step out and walk on water. I mean, so Peter was always the first dude, right? He was the most confident, and that's who Satan chose to attack. And so this temptation, if you will, to be ashamed of Christ or to live ashamed for Christ is pre-baked into our post-Christian culture. You know, sometimes I wonder if that group in the middle, the ones who knew about but didn't fully commit to Christ, if they knew that that's who they were. They probably thought that they were following Christ. We saw that in Matthew 7. Lord, look at all these things we did for you. How can I not be a part of yours? The reality is that that grand moment of decision, right, if somebody puts a, a gun to your head or that servant girl points you out, everybody knows when we fail there, right? But for most of us, we're not going to have that thud at the bottom of the cliff moment. It's that small, gradual compromise, path to compromise, it's continual compromises of not standing for the Lord. You know, because we live in this environment where we value convenience above everything else, right? We like to be comfortable, right? We don't talk a lot about Jesus but for fear of unpleasantness or uh, uncomfortableness. It's, uh, we value everything else. We value our own reputation, our ease, our money, uh, more than we value our love for Jesus and really urgency for lost souls. That's what we should be, right? Jesus' word said that's what we should be about. He came to seek and save that which is lost. We are disciples and followers of him, but that's really not on our radar oftentimes. And see, this is not unique, this whole concept. We jump into John 12. It was the same thing that happened in Jesus' day. He said that there was leaders and rulers that believed Jesus was who he said he was, but you know what? Didn't really follow him. Pick it up right here. Nevertheless, many did believe in him, even among the rulers, but because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, so that they would not be banned from the synagogue. For they loved human praise more than the praise from God. Did you catch that? That's pretty powerful. 
How much can we relate to that? How many times do we shy away from using the name of Jesus in everyday conversations? At work, with our neighbors, with our friends, sometimes even around the own, our own family dinner table. Because we don't want to go there. We don't want to cause conflict. We don't put somebody, make somebody uncomfortable or potentially be persecuted ourselves. So you may be wondering, why on earth is he talking about this this morning? Well, the first thing is, I know a lot of you pretty well, so that pretty much goes without saying. So I'd... Actually, no, there was, that was a bad joke, all right? Here we go. There was a catalyst towards this. This spring, LifeWay Research, they're, they're a, a national research company, they did uh, a poll that surveyed Christians and non-Christians. And let me just start with their findings, and then I'll tell you a little bit about uh, some of the survey results. Here's their statement. Their concluding statement from the research this last spring. Americans are curious about the religious devotion of others and willing to discuss the topic. So they're saying that there is a general openness in our society today of people to hear about Christianity. That's great news, right? I mean, that's awesome. But there's a comma there and not a period. Here's the second half to their statement. But most say they rarely have conversations about faith with their Christian friends. So the reality is, is that you've got a lost world out there that is open and even curious as to why Christians believe certain things. Why do they act differently? Why? But you know what? Nobody wants to have a conversation with them. It's not a religious liberty issue. It's not uh, that the subject's off limits by the people we're trying to talk to. It's that Christians aren't doing what we're called to do. That's the sad reality. Here's a few stats. 60% of people who identify as religiously unaffiliated, so they don't go to any church, don't believe in anything, uh, they said that they're curious as to why people are devoted to their faith. 60% of Americans who say that, yes, I know people who claim to be Christians. 60% of them says, never heard them say a word about their faith. All right. 50% of the religiously unfiliated, back to that group that doesn't believe in anything, said that I never think about faith unless somebody else brings it up. So it's not even on their radar screen. All right. So maybe it got worse during the pandemic. Maybe we don't share because people are more closed off after the pandemic. Pandemic impact. 61% said the pandemic did not change their interest in spiritual matters. And 32% said it made it even more so. Why is that? Because we're all faced with our own mortality. Right? When that happens, you start thinking about things that maybe we try to clutter, we try to stay so busy, we try to supplement, right, with, with different possessions or career goals or relationships. But when the rubber meets the roll, we, we've got this, Ecclesiastes 3 says that we've got this hole-shaped, God-shaped hole in our heart, right? That it got, says that God placed eternity in our hearts. It's a spot that only He can fill. One more deal on this one. They asked the question, if God asked you, why should I let you into heaven? Right? And this is, this is Christians that answered this one. 38% said, because of Jesus alone. That's good that 38% knew that, but that meant 62% of people who claimed to follow Christ didn't. Some said, well, I'm a good person, or I did this. Okay, so that's the backdrop. So why do you think that it is? Why do you think that people who claim to be Christians... Right? who are following Christ, by definition, that's what a Christian is, a disciple of Christ, 
they're not doing what he commands. What's that? Must be politically correct. Yeah, There's, that's probably part of it. I think, yeah, I think a lot of it is exactly on that road. It's, it's the matter of convenience, right? Our lives, we, we, don't, we wouldn't necessarily say this, articulate it this way, but convenience is almost our highest value in our culture today. I mean, think about our lives that are built around convenience. I mean, whether it's on TV, where everything is streamed now. You don't have to watch commercials. You can watch exactly what you want, when you want. It's the DoorDash and Uber Eats. It's the Instacart and Amazon. It's, you know, we outsource everything. Mow your lawn, clean your pool, teach piano lessons, do whatever. And that's, that is our highest convenience. How do we make our lives easier, right? I mean, we apply that in the church. You may have heard times, you know, somebody says, well, hey, give to it hurts. Well, thank goodness we have very low pain tolerance, right? Or, uh, you know, maybe it's, uh, we know we should invite someone over for a meal with the family. But, you know, it puts such a strain on the family. It disrupts our routine. The house isn't clean. Why would I want to do that? Maybe it's stopping to help somebody on the side of the road. But, you know, I had this thing that I committed to or I need to go. It's all about personal convenience. We wouldn't say that, but that is our highest value. That's how we live our lives. Okay? I also think that it's probably a lack of persecution. Did you know that the, it, it's kind of interesting, but uh, you know, years ago when we were sending chi- missionaries to China, they were praying about sending missionaries to America because they're saying that the lack of persecution in America makes it really challenging because it's so easy to fit in. You can go through the motions, you can go to church, there's no persecution, so it's easy to just to stop by, check it off the list and go about your life. Right? When you're in China and you could be put in jail or killed to being associated with the church, change the stakes a little. Right? Let's let, you know, our persecution today, oftentimes it's, well, I didn't get this promotion or somebody's mocking me. That's not persecution. Right? Persecution is what we see in Mark 8. Here's what Jesus said. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me in the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them. And when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. So what is that last sentence? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in the Father's glory with the holy angels. Man, that's powerful, right? Are we living for Jesus? Do the people around you know that you're a Christian? One. And do they know that you're interested in them not spending eternity apart from relationship with Christ? Right? We're talking about those people in the middle. It's not that they disbelieved. It's not that they didn't care for Jesus. They just didn't believe that the cost was worth it, right? When their other loves are threatened, hey, don't rock the boat. Let's just, let's just go on. Let's just add on this other stuff. I'm okay, right? It's, it's not that they just didn't think, you know, Jesus isn't for polite conversation. It's okay. I have this personal relationship with him. Why do I need to talk about it with anyone else, right? We ignore like the Great Commission. Remember Matthew 28? We're commanded to go. There you go. Jesus said, all authority in heaven has been given to me, and so therefore go. Well, where are we going? 
We're going to places that we're not invited to, right? And then we're supposed to make disciples of all nations with people that probably don't, aren't that interested. And then teaching them to obey everything, oh, sorry, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, right? That very God that those people have rejected or do not know. And then teaching them to obey everything, right, that Christ has taught, which is problematic when we don't do that ourselves. It's as if we're trying to live the life of a secret disciple as if such a thing exists, right? That's contrary to Scripture. That's contrary to Jesus' example. And it's contrary to everything that we see that we're supposed to be. I love, let me, let me give you three examples from Scripture that an indistinct and worldly Christianity is worthless. All right, first one, Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5. Oh, scroll back one. Oh, we don't have that on there. All right. So Matthew 5 is uh, that salt is good for anything except salt that is not good for anything is only good for being thrown out and trampled. Right? So if the salt loses its saltiness, what are you going to do with it? Nothing. It's worthless. Right? We're called to be the salt of the world. If we're not doing that, what are we worth? Right? The next one you had up there, one of my favorite stories from 1 Kings. Remember this picture of Elijah who was there and he's, he's battling the prophets of Baal. Remember this picture? And, and, uh, and this is when, you know, the, he says, this is the challenge he actually gives to the people. And he says, you know, how long will you be limping toward between two different options? If the Lord is God, then serve him. So these people were, were uh, not, I mean, they, they said they were following God, but they really weren't. They were following the, the different gods of the day. And this is where he, he has the sacrifice and where he has all those prophets. They're being stupid and cutting themselves and praying and dancing and their, uh, their sacrifice isn't lit on fire and then he has all the water poured on his and then he prays, okay God, do your thing and lights it on fire and it proves that God is the only God, right? What's interesting is the bottom part of this verse says, but the people said nothing. Why? Because they were stuck in that in between, right? They had one foot in and then the other foot was in the world. All right, let's fast forward towards the end. Revelation chapter 3. Remember the warning to the church of Laodicea? It says, I know your deeds. You are neither cold or hot. How I wish that you were one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot or cold, I'm about to vomit you out of my mouth. Whew. Okay, so what's the point of this morning? It's not to beat you up, <laughs> even though it may feel that way, right? It's to encourage us to take a stand for Christ. The last statistic, and then we're going to move on to something. Here's, here's the last finding from that LifeWay study. 56% of Christians that LifeWay Research Survey said that their spiritual life was entirely private. Okay? Let's be clear, folks. Our spiritual life is personal. It's between us and the Lord. It was never meant to be private. You see it in the Gospels. You see it in Jesus' life. You see it in all the metaphors used. Listen to this real quick. We are described as a city on a hill, the light of the world, the salt of the earth, the hands and feet of Christ, aroma of Christ, ambassadors for Christ, shine like stars in the world, fishers of people, members of Christ's body. Which of those metaphors sound like our spiritual life should be private? Right? It doesn't. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to conclude with uh, three questions. I think we got a printout that we're going to distribute here, and I'm going to I'm going to read it to you to give you a chance to think about it, and also uh, for the guys that are listening on uh, online, because I don't know if you know this or not, but we get hundreds or thousands of downloads of this Bible study, which is awesome. God is using it for a reach, which is fantastic. 
okay? But here's the point of doing this. I want us to spend some time discussing it at your tables and applying it. John Mark talked a few months ago, actually early in the spring, he talked about uh, Moses having Aaron and her lift up those arms. That's what we need. We need other godly men to walk with, to encourage us, to challenge us uh, along the way. Because if we get off uh, by ourselves, it said our heart is deceitful above all else. How are we going to trust our own hearts? We can get off in a hurry if we try to do this by ourselves. So here's the three things. I, I put a couple of scriptures on there. Uh, the, here's the three questions you're going to discuss. One, what are some ways that we fail to obey Christ as Lord of our lives? Okay? It may look different. It may be in our witness, in our priorities, in our own holiness. Then second, we are more like Peter than we care to admit, right? We have good intentions, but when push comes to shove, uh, we all have areas where we're more likely to compromise under certain circumstances. So let's look back. Where, when's a time when you fail to take a stand? What were the circumstances? What do you wish you could have done differently? And what did you learn? Let's just be honest. We've all failed. And we all continue to fail, right? But if we'll own it, and we'll, if we can learn from one another, we can help prevent it from happening again. And then the last one is difficult to read these verses without feeling some conviction from the Holy Spirit, right? In an area of our life that needs to be more fully surrendered to Christ. So what can we do something different? One thing, going different that will help us do something and live differently going forward, right? I was really challenged. I needed to hear this. This message was for me, but hopefully it'll challenge you as well. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. For more information about Cottonwood Creek Church, visit cottonwoodcreek.org. And we hope you come back to listen to future episodes of Men's Bible Study.